0: Our Bible opened to Ephesians chapter two, please. We uh, have looked at chapter one the last services last Wednesday and last Sunday, and we're in chapter two. Now keep in mind that this little book was written probably from the city of Rome in 64 A.D. It was among the early prison epistles and it seems like Paul was in prison when he wrote this it was sent by Tychicus and Paul had a number of friends if you if you just read closely some of the epistles you'll find that from time to time Paul mentions some of his friends and those friends would stick closer than a brother you know friends are wonderful Uh, a friend loves you at all times regardless Someone is, and this coming Sunday we're we're, we're having Mother's Day uh, commemoration and uh, probably the best friend a person has in many respects is his mother. Because a mother will love you no matter what. She loves you before you're born, she loves you when you're born, she loves you in order to teach, in the early years and months to teach you all the things that you can't learn for yourself, and then she loves you in those critical two years, and three years, and four years, and five years, and then the teen years, perhaps tough years, then our mother loves us when we begin to leave home, go to college, get married, have children of her own, and so on. Mother keeps on loving. And so, as we observe Mother's Day Sunday, let's thank God for some of the greatest friend, one of the greatest friend, maybe the the one great friend we have in life, our mother. Well, Paul had a lot of friends. Tychicus was one of those, and he had some other friends that came to visit him when he was in prison. He mentioned some of these, and what a blessing when Paul was chained to a soldier in a prison he wrote many of these epistles and they had a friend named Tychicus and others that came and took those epistles to the proper places. Some have said this is the most impersonal of Paul's epistles. He writes this to the body of Christ. The word ekklesia appears many times in the New Testament. It means the called out assembly of God. Basically, ecclesia refers to the local assembly, the local church. And Baptists have had a strong doctrinal truth and have focused on that for many years, the importance of the local church. While other groups focus on the, what they call the universal church. Well, the body of Christ is God's special ecclesia, And that's what Paul focuses on in the book of Ephesians. Some have thought that Paul wrote this book to the Laodicean Christians as well as the Ephesian Christians. If that's true, then in Revelation chapter two, the first church he mentions is the church at Ephesus. He says, I have some against you've left your first love. The last church he mentions is the Laodicean church, the church that is lukewarm and makes God sick. So between those areas, if Paul is writing these words to both the Ephesian church and the Laodicean Church, then he has something to say to all of us. Come to chapter one. We mentioned this uh, the other day in our Study, he mentioned 10 great blessings that a believer has in Christ. He has chosen us. He has adopted us. He's accepted us. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He's granted us his wisdom and prudence. He's revealed to us the mystery of his will. He has given us an inheritance. He has sealed us to the day of redemption. He has given us the earnest of that inheritance. And the earnest of that inheritance is the Holy Spirit himself. When you come to Christ, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He comes to live inside of us. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And when the, term, when the scripture uses that term, he's talking in general about the spirit of Christ. Technically, when we read the Bible, it says God manifests himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that his spirit descended into paradise. He led captivity captive. He said to that thief on the cross next to him, today you will be with me in paradise. But then he transferred paradise to heaven. So that where Jesus is, that's where we go when we die, the believers. Now, Paul says so much about the intricate truths of the scripture. We could go off in a section of scripture tonight and deal with that, but I wanna stick in Ephesians chapter two. I'm tempted to talk about what happened to Jesus when he died. Three days later he rose from the grave, he's alive, and after that he ascended into heaven. After Pentecost, 10 days later, he ascended into heaven But then he said, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father is the descent of the Holy Spirit. So at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in fire upon the body of Christ and baptized God's people into one body. The Bible says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. When he speaks of one baptism, he's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about spiritual baptism. That's how we get saved. We're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Now, this is the group he is talking to in the book of Ephesians. So going to come to chapter 2. I want you to notice the change that Christ can make in an individual. I want to read the first uh, maybe 10 verses. You have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins When in time past He walked according to the course of this world According to the Prince of the power of the air The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience Among whom also We all had Our conversation in times past In the lusts of our flesh Fulfilling the desires Of the flesh and of the mind who Were by nature the children Of wrath even as others but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ by grace are you saved hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath prepared, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember. And we'll stop there in verse 11. Wherefore remember. So I think he's using this on the basis of everything he's already said, he gonna say, now remember. Remember what, what I've just wrote, written. So notice these things. You at the quickened who are dead. Everyone in this room was at one time spiritually dead. When we go to witness to a lost person, remember that person is dead spiritually. The only thing that can bring life is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit using the Word of God. God has promised to bless His Word. The Word will not return void, but will accomplish the purpose whereinto which we sent it. So when we go and give somebody the Word of God, whether it's in a tract form, or whether we sit with them and talk with them about their need of Jesus, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit uses the Word to bring conviction and ultimately conversion. The Holy Spirit is the one that makes us alive. So everyone here was dead. We've been made alive in Christ. You just think of that. The word resurrection is used about Jesus. And then Paul says, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, we shall all be changed in a moment the twinkle of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. We look forward to a resurrection. But we've already had a resurrection from death and trespasses and sins. When we talk to an unsaved person, we ought not to get offended if that person doesn't understand. They may cuss us out, they may close the door in our face, they may do all kinds of uh, obnoxious things, make fun, and so on. That's because they're dead in trespasses and sins. And so, As God puts that person on our heart, we go back again and again and again. One of the problems we face as believers, we sometimes give up. We just get tired and we give up. We say, well, I'm not going to be insulted by that guy anymore. If he wants to go to hell, let him go to hell. (laughs) Some people have used that as a spiritual tool. One man who became a member of our church years ago came down the aisle one day and said, I want to give my heart to Christ because somebody came to see me the other day and I told him I wasn't interested. I was going to go where all my friends were in hell. And that man left and said, well, go on to hell if that's what you want to do. Now, I don't advise that. But he said, that stuck in my heart. I didn't want to go to hell. I came today to hear you preach and I've come to give my heart to Christ. He became a faithful witness. He's in heaven now. But see, God uses various methods to get through to people's hearts. You, have they quickened, everyone we meet in life, we need to find out where they're headed, where they're bound. Are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? I've heard. I've mentioned this many, many times. One of the great soul winners we had in our church was Miss Iva Morris. And Miss Iva used to meet people on the streets and she would say boldly, the only two places about eternity, heaven or hell, where are you going? And uh, God used her to win a lot of people to Christ. She used to come to church and sit on the rolls right here in the front and she'd bow her head. We had an evangelist, he saw her doing that one day, he says, is that lady gonna go to sleep? <laughs> I said, sir, She's not sleeping, she's praying for you. And when the service was over, he stood in the line and she came by and said, there are only two places to go, heaven or hell. You're going to heaven or hell. (laughs) And the evangelist said, I've never had anybody ask me that before. Well, Ms. Ivan Morris won many to Christ. And on the day of her funeral, I can hardly tell this without tears, many came by as I stood by that casket and they looked down at that lady, and they said, that lady won me to Christ down here on the street, on State Street, or down in the circle downtown. Uh, she told me about Jesus, she gave my I gave my heart to Christ because of this woman. You see, God uses people, and you and I can be used by God. You imagine the joy of being used by God. Well, you have the quickened who are dead and trespassed and sins? Look in verse two. When in time past we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now work in the children of disobedience. Every one of us had our background in the devil. We got here, we were not children of God, we were children of the devil. Jesus said one day, you're of your father the devil. Not until you're changed, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you become a child of God. Then when you become a child of God, let's not go back and act like we're children of the devil. God changes us. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then look in verse three, among whom also we all had our conversation, our citizenship, our behavior in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We have no right to brag. We've given our hearts to Christ. Almost everybody in this room can say, I'm saved. If you're not saved, let the Holy Spirit deal with your heart tonight. If you are saved, remember that you used to be like everybody else. You were lost, you were a child of the devil. You used his language, you thought his thoughts. You were by nature children of the devil. But When Christ came in, he changed you. He gave you new affections, new desires, a new eternity. He gave you a new mind so that if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. What a blessing, what a joy. All right, now let's go on, verse four. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Mercy and grace are two different things. We, mercy is what God has for us and doesn't give us what we deserve. Grace is way beyond that, grace is God's love reaching out and rescuing us and bringing us to himself. That's grace. God's love when we don't deserve it. Even when we are dead in sins, hath quickened us, made us alive together in Christ. By grace are you saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. When we come to church, it ought to be like going to a heavenly place. We ought to enjoy singing. I ought to enjoy being in the fellowship with believers. We ought to look forward to being here on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, in revival meetings, going to God's house. Years ago, the Episcopal church downtown, I guess it still has a red door, but it used to stay open all the, uh, unlocked all the time. And many of our college students would go by that Episcopal church and go in and just spend a little while praying. They've told me about it. And they said, somehow we felt a spirit of holiness we went into that house there was a period of time when we left our auditorium open uh we had some problems one summer we got burglarized 13 times and uh so we began to lock the doors but uh uh, we live in strange times now but there's a certain holiness when you come into the house of god brother Clyde gordon who's in heaven now used to say, when I come in the doors over at Glendale, he said, I feel the spirit of God there. Well, there should be a spirit of holiness when we come into God's house. Let's love each other. Let's remember that each of us had his conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh. We were something, now we're something different. God has made us new in Christ. He's raised us up together to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's not talking about heaven after a while. That's talking about heavenly places right here where we are. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. In other words, so he can put us on display. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that's going to be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. When we get over there, have you ever thought about much about going to heaven? Uh, a lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm hoping to go to heaven, I wanna to go to heaven, uh, I'm not quite ready, I'm not ready for the next train, but I do hope to go there. If you're saved, Christ may come any moment. He may come before this service is over. In 1 John chapter 2 it says, Little children, let us not be ashamed before him at his coming. So we need to stay prayed up, confessed up. We need to take our burden to the Lord and leave it with him. Should he come tonight before this service is over and catch us up? we say to him? Say, Lord, I'm weighted down with all kinds of burdens and I just can't take it. I have hurts in my heart. I have resentments in my heart. I have ill will in my heart. Or, Lord, I've forgiven everybody that hurt me. And if I hurt somebody else, I've tried to go to them and make it right. I want to be ready when he comes. Now the Catholics concocted something they call purgatory and uh, this is not taught in the scripture, but their position is that if you die with these sins on your mind and your heart and you haven't confessed them, that you go to purgatory and somebody can pray you out of purgatory by giving so much money or lighting candles at the altar and so on, and you can stay in purgatory and burn for your sins for a little while and then get out and go to heaven. Well, there's nothing in scripture that teaches that. When you die, You're going immediately to heaven or hell. There's no intermediate place. There's no second chance after death. And so, we need to stay ready. There's a little song the quartet used to sing, I want to be ready, I want to be ready, I want to be ready to walk in Jerusalem just like John. And walking in Jerusalem not talking about Jerusalem over in in Palestine, He's talking about Jerusalem in heaven. I want to be ready to walk in Jerusalem just like John, John in the Revelation, saw the beauty of the coming Jerusalem. And that's what we're talking about. I saw the new city coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That song says, I want to be ready to walk in Jerusalem. And so our lives need to be structured in such a way that day by day and hour by hour, we say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. If that's true, why should we be afraid of what people can say to us. Why should we be afraid of what people can do to us? Sometimes, uh, you know, we feel like we need to be overly cautious. I've known some people that say, "I'll never get on an airplane." There've been too many airplane crashes. The problem with that is there are more people who get killed in cars than car- than planes. And nowadays, you may get killed walking down the street, or down an alley, or in your own home. So we need to be ready at all times. We do not know for sure that we'll have a warning. Brother Gordon was preaching down at New Union. I was with him in a revival meeting down there. And right in the middle of the service, a man near the front just dropped down, and died right there. And of course it disturbed the service. They came and tried to help him and take him out. Uh, We never know what's gonna happen. So we need to be ready at all times. And to be ready means that we're confessed up, we're prayed up, we've gotten all the things in our hearts that are wrong, present them to the Lord and leave them there and God will take care of it. All right, let me go on. That in the ages that come that God might put us on display and say this is the way God's, This this is what happens to a person when God comes into his life. For example, Job. When we read Job, we know the, the whole story. Job didn't know what was happening to him. Satan made a bid for him, and Satan went to God and said, Now, uh, God, the reason Job is behaving like he is and is so good is because you put a hedge around him, you don't happened to him. And God allowed Satan to touch him. And Job went through tyranny and terribleness. He lost his family, he lost his goods, he lost his farm, he lost his family. He, his wife said, curse God and die. He had some friends come to see him and they accused him of sin. So the reason you're in such terrible plight is because of the sin in your life. And all these things, Job did not curse God. At the end, God restored Job and gave him more than he had ever had before. He put him on display This is the way a godly man looks at things. When people said, all manner of evil against you, what do you do? You can get hurt, crushed, and be be out of joint, or you can say, look what they did to Jesus. They crucified Jesus, and while he was dying, he said, Father, forgive them. They do not what they do that in the ages to come, he might put you on display before the world. Then in verses seven, eight and nine and 10, the climax, this tremendous passage, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. It's totally God's grace, God's love. Not what we do, but what he did. If someone should say, why are you going to heaven? What would you say? The only right answer is because of God's grace. Jesus died for me. He paid the penalty for my sins. And then he says, for we are his workmanship, those who are saved, the new people who've been been resurrected from, made quick from, from their death in sin. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So God has made us for a purpose. The purpose is not just a fire insurance policy against hell. That's included. Nobody that's trusting Jesus is going to go to hell, but he saved us to serve. He saved us to be his representatives in the earth. The only hands he has are our hands. The only feet, the only eyes, the only tongue, the only body he has on earth is individuals who make up God's church. So let's say, Lord, I wanna be your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to good works. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich, so full, and free. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for that tremendous passage in Ephesians chapter two. Thank you that you've quickened us, made us alive in Christ, and your purpose for us is that we might show as a reflection the glory of God in a dark and perverse world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.